Please uh, pray with me. Father, we bow before you, our Creator and King, and give you thanks for the opportunity and the awareness to do so. You who created the heavens and the earth and rescue your people from sin and death through your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You have been our help in ages past and our hope for years to come our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. We ask that your blessing would be upon all the work of your church here at Covenant. Draw us together as we seek to love you and our neighbor well. Help us to see the hard things in our lives as opportunities to learn and grow, to experience and share life with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to encourage one another and to share the gospel with those who do not know you as their Savior. Grant us strength and courage and wisdom and humility along the way. We have specific praises and petitions to bring before you, Father. We celebrate the birth of wit to the Millsap family, parents Caroline and Henson, brothers Charlie and Samuel. As Penny Crawford prepares to undergo treatment for a blood disorder, bless her and Marty and India with a deep sense of your presence and your peace. Bless all those caring for her as well as the treatment she she receives. We lift up Jamie Shields, who fell yesterday and is at UAB in the ICU with possible brain and spine injuries. We pray for his treatment and recovery. Be with Catherine and the entire family. We give you thanks for created for a purpose that is going on right now at Covenant. We are thankful for all those who are engaged in this ministry and pray that the young girls would be drawn to you and see just how much you love them and have great plans for them. Bless the Mission Trip Explorer Camp in New Hampshire this week. We pray for each of the children attending and that they would hear the gospel proclaimed. Grant safe travels, good health, and strength to the team as they share your love. Father, we are so thankful that you are at work in your kingdom, and we get to be a part of that work. Now please bless the teaching, hearing, and embracing of your word as Robbie shares with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's a real privilege to be God's people to gather in his presence, to call upon his name, and uniquely to hear from God himself. We've been studying 1 Peter. The Apostle Peter wrote a letter to Christians in the first century, and he was calling them through that letter to a resilient faithfulness, because to believe in Jesus means that you're going to suffer and have many struggles, and Peter was calling that first century audience to a resilient faithfulness. Be God's people, cling to God by faith, be resilient and faithful, even though at times it's gonna be very difficult. Well, here's what's amazing. Uh, We receive the letter that the apostle Peter wrote that first century audience as God's word to us. We believe that God himself through the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write these words. So this is actually God's word to us. That's really central to our practice of worship. We don't move from worship uh, to a sermon, but before God, in God's very presence, we seek God's address. 
that he would address us through his word. And so we need to hear about God's call to resilient faithfulness. Well, the whole epistle of first Peter uh, of first Peter has been about that. But today's passage is unique because today Peter tells us and the Lord through first Peter tells us how to grow into a resilient and faithful people. How are we going to be more mature and grow deeper uh, into our resilient faithfulness? Uh, we're going to need that. And so we'll read it here together um, coming from First Peter. It's in your worship guide on page 14, also in your Bible if you want to read along with me. Let's see how the Lord will tell us how we can grow into this calling to be a resilient, faithful people. Peter writes, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Since we're in God's presence, let's ask him to help us hear his word. Father, thank you for Kurt's prayer to this very end. And we agree with Kurt. We ask for your help. You inspired this letter. Now we ask that you would illumine us. Turn the lights on inside for us. So rather than darkness, we hear and respond to the light. The beautiful sound of your voice in scripture in Jesus name. Amen. All right, so let's dive in today. Today, this really is a how-to passage. Uh, Peter really has been calling us. The Lord has been calling us to this resilient faithfulness. Why? Because to believe in Jesus is going to meet with resistance. Just picture that first century church. They did not have a sanctuary like this. I love our sanctuary. It's beautiful. The first century church had nothing like this. They met for worship in each other's homes and often they had to share uh, their homes with each other because to believe in Jesus in the first century uh, meant they got, some of them got kicked out of their homes. Many of them, maybe most of them got kicked out of significant business deals. They didn't get to go to the festivals they used to go to. Uh, They had all kinds of losses because they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. It cost them dearly. So to be God's faithful people, Since it was costly, it was going to require some resilience, God's grace in their lives. And this passage is about how they and us, how we can grow in this resilient faithfulness. And so I want you to see, first of all, at the beginning of our passage, Peter brings up a theme that he believed God's people need to keep before them at all times. He brings up this theme multiple times in the letter. It's the beginning of our passage. The end of all things is at hand. Peter keeps talking about the glorious future. And what Peter means by the end of all things, he's talking about the glorious return of King Jesus. And when Jesus said, when Peter says it's at hand or has drawn near, uh, I want you to understand what he means uh, really carefully. Uh, Peter means that God has already done everything necessary to redeem his whole creation and people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. 
The only thing left is for King Jesus to come back and return. As a matter of fact, nothing else has to happen after Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension to heaven. And now the gospel's gone out to the nations and there's nothing else. God's people don't have to wait for anything else. King Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who died in the place of sinners and who was raised again on the third day and then ascended to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, with angels and powers and authorities in subjected subjection to him he now reigns over all things the gospel about him has gone to the nations and now he can come back whenever he wants whenever uh, that 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 end happens whenever uh, god's purposes are brought to a conclusion jesus will come back and bring all things to their appropriate end and peter is saying uh, that's at hand in other words peter's not saying it will happen at any moment but he is saying it could happen at any moment And Peter's mentioned this multiple times in the letter. He's talked about the revelation of the Lord, the return of the Lord, the appearance of the Lord. And now he just wants us to understand it could happen at any time. Now, um, if you bumped into me in downtown Birmingham and I, and I was saying the, uh, the end of all things is near, you might picture me, uh, with long hair and maybe like a sandwich board. Um, and and you might think that I, maybe I had, I, I, I had bought, you know, a bomb shelter and maybe I had 20 years worth of, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, beanie weenies that I was going to live off the next 20 years. Because sometimes when Christians talk about the return of the Lord and we have in before our mind the return of the Lord is near, that the, the, the end of all things has drawn near, we think what we're supposed to do when we hear that and believe that is go into some kind of manic hysteria. The end of all things is near. Sell all your goods. Go into manic hysteria. But look at what Peter does in this passage. He begins to tell us how to live like we believe that we've reached the end stage of God's saving purposes. And that's what he means. Look what he does. He begins to tell us what to do. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Isn't that interesting? It sounds like the opposite of manic hysteria. God has done all the things that need to be done for him to reconcile the creation and the nations to himself. Jesus Christ has achieved those things. Jesus Christ uh, has ascended to heaven. Uh, He will come back at the appropriate time. Uh, That can happen whenever God wants it to happen. So be self-controlled and sober-minded. And that leads to the four things that Peter wants us to do in light of the nearness of Uh, this end stage that we live in the last days and it can get summed up in any moment. Uh, Here's the four things that Peter wants us to do in light of who Jesus is, what he's done, and especially his glorious return. Are you ready? Uh, The the first one is connect with the Lord in prayer. We'll see that in just a second in verse seven. And then he tells us three different ways to to commit to one another in love. So that's, uh, uh, put it in two boxes, commit to one another in love. I mean, connect to the Lord in prayer, commit to one another in love. And those will fall out like this. Love one another, welcome one another, and serve one another. And uh, the passage preaches itself because it's a really nice outline coming right off the page. So here's the first thing Peter says. Since God's purposes are ready to be summed up by the return of Jesus Christ, and that, that purpose, that end is near, the first thing he wants us to do is in a very sober way, commit ourselves, connect to the Lord in prayer. There it is in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. 
Now, the, the apostle Peter had his own experience of the failure of this. See, it's important to remember that Peter actually was personal friends with Jesus when Jesus was on the earth. And right before Jesus was arrested and eventually crucified, Jesus had a very important night of prayer in a garden. They were in a garden in a place called Gethsemane and Jesus had his closest friends with him. And he said, hey, I want you to stay alert and pray because it's a really, really heavy night. And you know what Peter did and Jesus' other close friends? They fell asleep. So Peter has his own memory, his own experience of the failure of this. But this is what he's saying now. He's saying, since the end of all things is near, since the Lord Jesus Christ can come back at any moment, I want you to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Here's what he's simply saying. Remember in light of that glorious future in the present to connect to the Lord in prayer by faith. One of the most important ways that we're gonna become God's resilient faithful people is our own prayer life. Our prayer life individually and our prayers together connecting to the Lord in prayer, even as Kurt led us here a few minutes ago. And since this is a how-to passage, you see all the ways Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter uh, told us how to pray. He told us to begin every morning at 5.45 a.m. He told us to pray for an hour and 15 minutes. He told us to read six Bible passages first. Uh, He also told us to make sure we did that 19 days a week. And that's not what he did at all, is it? I want you to see how simple these directions are. What's, P, what's behind this? What's Peter believe? What's he been teaching? There's one true God. He made all things. The nations and the creation rebelled against the creator. God in his love and mercy sent his son to rescue people for himself from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're invited to come freely to the Lord in prayer. And that's what Peter's driving at here. He wants us to be God's resilient, faithful people. And one of the most important ways is that we connect to the Lord by faith in prayer, not running around in manic hysteria, but in a self-controlled and sober-minded way, tethered to God himself by faith in prayer. But basically what Peter is reminding us to do here is to tune into reality and that's what prayer is. Think of all the things that God could give you in prayer. You might be sick and you want healing. You can ask God for that. You, you might be anxious and you want God to give you peace. You can ask God for that. That's, that's really, really good. Uh, you might have other needs where you, you've run yourself into a, a pit uh, um, and you're suffering because of your own choices and you're in basically a pit of destruction and you need God to help you out of that pit and redeem your life from the pit. You can ask God for do that. That's a good thing to do. But I want you to know, while all that would count in what Peter's saying here, the main thing Peter is inviting you and me to do is to connect with the Lord himself deeper and bigger than asking for God for things and you're invited to ask God for things is to turn your heart and connect to the Lord himself the Lord himself will return and make all things right and in a very simple straightforward way P- 
Peter knows we will mature as God's resilient, faithful people if by faith we connect to the Lord. We turn our hearts to him in simple faith. The, the next thing he wants us to do is not just to connect with the Lord in prayer, but to commit to one another in love. And that's what verses 8 and following are about. Look at what he says. Verse 8. I love how realistic and hilarious this verse is. Verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That word could be translated uh, in, in an enduring way. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Huh. Keep loving each other and don't stop. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. What's the assumption of that verse? Do you catch the assumption? The the assumption of that verse is God has rescued you by his grace and you are still a sinner and you have a lot of growing to do. And he's put you in a brand new family with other sinners who have a lot of growing to do. And as you grow up together, you're going to fail each other. And the reason you need to mature in love and commit yourself to love one another is because there's going to be a lot of sins to cover. The assumption here is that the people of God are going to fail each other. So we must commit ourselves to a a love that forbears, an enduring love, a love that doesn't give up. This means that you're going to share a private significant prayer request with somebody in this body and they're going to turn it into an opportunity for gossip. And here, Peter's saying, love each other. Put up with each other. Be patient. Be kind. It doesn't mean don't confront that kind of behavior, but he means forbear it. Uh, This means that sometimes in the life of this church, you're going to let people know a real need you have, a real prayer request that you have, and they're going to forget it. We're going to forget it. We're going to fail to show up, fail to remember, fail to check back in, fail to make sure that you're okay. You're going to tell us that you have a real need and we're not going to meet it. We're going to fail each other. And so in this passage, Peter is acknowledging that he's a failure, the people he's writing to are failures, and we're a community of people that are far from perfect. We're going to fail, and so we're going to have to love each other. We're going to have to bear with one another in love. Peter also had his own experience of this. Do you remember? At one point, Jesus was talking about how we work out relationships when we fail each other, and Peter, Jesus was teaching on how we confront each other, and if, if Josh sins against me, I don't go and confront him in front of the whole congregation, hey, Josh, uh, but I go talk to him one-on-one, and, and, and then, you know, I, I win my brother back, but I tell him the truth, he repents, we forgive each other, and after hearing this teaching, this teaching, Peter says, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, this is interesting, Lord, if my brother sins against me, uh, how many times should I forgive him? And Peter thinks he's really tuned in to how gracious God is. And he says, should I do it seven times? Which, you know, the big number of uh, uh, fullness. You know, and Peter thinks, I, I think I'm really getting this grace thing, Jesus. If my brother sins against me even seven times um, I'll, and comes back to me, I'll forgive him. And Jesus says, I'm not saying seven times. I'm telling you 70 times seven. Now that was Peter's own experience. And now he's writing this letter to the first Christians uh, there in Asia, in that part of the world. And I wonder if he remembers that interaction with Jesus. One of the ways that we're going to grow and be the resilient and faithful people of God is hanging together through mutual forgiveness, forbearance, and grace. Acknowledging that we fail each other and forgiving each other when we do. 
keep loving one another. So realistic, we're going to fail. Verse 9 gets to the next thing. How are we going to grow in this resilient faithfulness? We're going to have to welcome one another. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Uh, a friend of mine grew up in another city, in another state, I won't name it, uh, in a, another church in our denomination, the PCA, I won't name it. And uh, it, he went to church one day uh, with his family. His, it was th- at least three generations of them. His grandparents were there, his parents were there. He was there. And after church, his grandmother turned to some visitors and said, well, y'all should come to lunch with us today. And those people, these visitors that she invited to her home for lunch, you know what they did? They had the audacity to accept Oh my goodness, they accepted an invitation as though it were genuine. You know what happened? That young man, he was about 12, I think, he got in, the, in his grandparents' car and he rode from church to their home the whole drive. And you know what his grandmother did the whole way? She grumbled and complained. I can't believe they said yes. I can't believe those people are coming in our house today. I don't have anything prepared. She was, she was incensed that they received her hospitality. It's almost as though the apostle Peter knew human nature in the first century. It's almost as though God knows our hearts. Here's what the Lord is saying to us through this letter. Open your homes to one another. Get in each other's kitchens. Is it convenient? No. So do that inconvenient thing so you'll grow together as family and don't grumble about it because you need it. It will be inconvenient. It will be uncomfortable. People will see your unvacuumed carpet. People will will recognize that sometimes all your relationships aren't squeaky clean and there's problems in your home. People will recognize that your life is real the way their life is real. Open your homes, share life together without grumbling. I love how realistic this passage is. Love each other because you know you're going to sin a lot. Open your hearts and homes to each other, but don't grumble about it because I know you don't want to. It's a super realistic passage. Peter's talking to the people then and God is talking to us now as though we're people that need to grow. And that's who we are. People who need to grow into God's ways and we need each other to do it. So here's the third one. Uh, Peter says in verses 10 and 11 that he wants us to serve one another in love, serve with the gifts that God has given us. Uh, back in the 1980s, the whole family was at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, and it was awesome. A guy named Dick Allen did this fantastic gifts test. It was super great. It was very detailed, and if you went and took this gifts test, you could learn all about the gifts God had given you and how you could serve the church. It was awesome. I was a teenager. I wasn't invited, but my parents were invited, and they went to the church. They did some gifts tests, and my mom knew that she was, she was a teacher. My dad knew he kind of had some administrative gifts, but it was kind of fun to go and just kind of get the whole list, like, how do I score on all these gifts? What gifts has God's given me? Because as this piece, passage says, when I know that God has given me gifts, what I'm supposed to do is steward them. And stewarding them means I serve people with them. Well, my parents came home from this gift test uh, from church and they looked at my sister, Amy and me, and they just were shocked. And they said, Amy, Robbie, you won't believe this. We both scored. And guess what? We had the same absolute lowest gift. We both scored that mercy was our absolute lowest gift. We looked at it and said, are you kidding? We could have told you that before you wouldn't take that test. And my parents are awesome. I love them. They're wonderful. But that's just not one of their gifts. They got lots of gifts. Um, and so it's actually wonderful 
It's wonderful to know where we are and where we are not gifted. And look what Peter says here in this passage. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And what would that make you if you, if you received a gift from God and used it to serve one another? That would mean you'd be a good steward of God's varied grace. God in his grace fills his church with all kinds of gifts so that we can uh, make a name for ourselves and lord it over others. Nope, nope, nope. God fills his church with a wide variety of gifts so that we can serve one another and as the passage says, bring God glory. Look at it with me. Um, Peter here uh, breaks it into two big broad categories. One is speaking gifts and those who speak on God's behalf are supposed to speak as of the or speak in the very oracles of God and then serving gifts and those who serve. I love how God centered it is. Those who serve are supposed to serve with the strength that God himself supplies. So just for a minute, uh, since those are so broad, I want to just rem- remind you, you can read first Corinthians and Romans and find longer lists of gifts. And just for a second, I want to name some of the ones that Paul uh, mentions uh, in Romans, for instance. Um, and so that it might help you, might remind you of the gifts God's given you so you can use them in the life of the church. Um, one of those gifts I've already laughed at is the gift of mercy. Uh, but if, you're, if you have the gift of mercy, you should use it because people need it. People inside the church and outside the church need to experience the mercy and kindness of God. So if that's one of your gifts, you ought to use it. In that same passage in Romans, uh, Paul talks about the gift of generosity. If you... Um, are the kind of person wired to generously respond to need. If you like to give, if you like uh, to meet people's needs through generosity, that's a gift from God and you ought to use it. The right way to use that gift is to put it to work and to meet people's needs both inside and outside the church in the name of Jesus Christ so that God might get the glory. Another kind of uh, gift that Peter, that Paul mentions uh, in Romans is a gift of leadership. Uh, The church needs all kinds of people with administrative capacities, leadership capacities, uh, so that we function together as one unified voice. So let me ask you, and then I'm going to actually pause for a few seconds. What gift or gifts has God given you? Take 10 seconds and think about it. All right, with that gift, that ability from God that's now fresh on your mind, here's what it means to steward it well. Serve those around you with it. Uh, When Christy and I moved here, we found out pretty quickly that we needed to get to know uh, Kurt and Ashley Sin. Kurt just prayed for us a little while ago. And we kept hearing their names and and, and then we got here and there were some sticky situations and and we kept asking Ashley to help us with these situations. And, and I was just kind of getting their story in pieces. And then I re- recognized they had uh, baby joy with them a lot. And they were fostering joy. And I realized they, they had done the math that what she really needed was to attach to them. And one day, though they invested their hearts in giving her a safe and healthy attachment in her early, in her early months that, that 
that at some point that they would give her to somebody else to raise her. And they knew they counted the cost of that. And then over the last uh, couple of years, we've watched them do the same thing with Joe. And, and we understand now and, uh, that they understand they count that cost. They're doing something that's really costly. And it's going to have a, 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 a result that will bring some pain and some sorrow. And so at one point I was talking uh, to Kurt and Ashley about this. And, and, you know, Christy and I you know, would talk and say, you know, when we grow up, maybe we'll get to be like Kurt and Ashley. But one day I was talking to Kurt and Ashley about this and it was so great. I was just encouraging them and thanking them for uh, the way they're serving and the example they are even to Christy and me. And at one point Ashley stopped me and she said, Robbie, I just want you to understand. Because I was thanking her for being a model for our whole church. She stopped me. She said, I just want you to understand how this church served me. And she began to narrate all the people that when her life uh, by the providence of God had gone off the rails and she had great needs, God had met her needs through all kinds of individuals who in very quiet ways had come behind the scenes and served her really well. And I just want to remind you of that pattern because you don't know who you're going to serve this week. With the gift that God has given you, you're going to serve somebody this week and you and I, we don't have the calculator to know what that's going to produce. What kind of fruit is going to come out of just little, quiet, humble service? What gift has God given you? Use it to build up his church and wait and watch what God will do with it. The two categories here are speaking gifts and serving gifts. So look at the one on speaking. Whoever speaks, they should speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. I think Peter in this context has preachers and teachers in mind. And so this, this verse can help you pray for the preachers and teachers at Covenant Presbyterian Church. Would you please pray for us that when we get up and preach God's word and teach God's word, we'll do it with a lot of clarity and sobriety. At the end of the day, what you hear is what God says and not Robbie's soapbox or some other pastor's hobby horse. You don't need our soapboxes or our hobby horses. You don't need that at all. But what we all do need is to hear God's voice through the scriptures as it's preached, as they're preached and taught to us. So if you'll pray to that end, you'll be our faithful partners to see the fruit that God will bring. But the other one, the broad one here, serving gifts, whoever serves, serve through mercy, through generosity, through leadership, in all sorts of ways. Whoever serves by the strength that God supplies. I love that kind of math. Did you see it? Um, God gave you a gift. It's a gift from God. He gave you the gift to build up his people And when you go and use that gift, God supplies you with his strength so you can use that gift in a fruitful way. That's wonderful. If you have a gift that God has given you to serve one another, to build up his church, just know this, God himself will strengthen you if your desire is to use it to serve others. What gift has God given you? Look to him to supply you with strength to steward that gift very well. And that leads to something that's wonderful. This is no surprise. Do all this in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And when, and when Peter thinks about that, it just makes him jump into a doxology. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I just want you to know that 
all of our lives are aimed toward something. And if the aim of your life is the glory of God, it's fail-proof and foolproof. That's good news if you know yourself. If the aim of your heart and the aim of your life and the aim of your service is that God would get glory, that can't fail. That's a safer bet than having, than, than having Coke stock in the 1950s. That's a, that's a better deal uh, than have been able to go back in time and invest in Microsoft and Apple at the same time. This is a more sure thing. God's glory is going to come and God is already revealing and he will in fullness reveal his glory. And when King Jesus returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if that's the aim of your life and the desire of your heart, you will not be disappointed. But, but since this is a how-to passage, a how-to sermon, let me give you a quick how-to. Be disappointed and empty and miserable and lonely. Are you ready? It's, it's, it's fail-proof. Be a me monster. Just make your life all about you. Make your family life about you. Make your career about you. Make your church life about you. Make sure you get your way. Make sure you insist on your paths. Make sure everyone uh, dances to the beat of your drum. If that's how you want to live, if you want to make your family, your career, and your church life about your glory and everything about you, it will never satisfy. It'll be deep and empty and you'll ultimately be lonely. But if your heart is tethered to God and his glory, you'll be fully satisfied. You'll have joy today and satisfaction forever in Jesus Christ. Why? To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. You deserve worship and glory and honor. We need your strength, the strength you supply to use the very gifts you've given us. So now we ask that you would meet us at your table in the power of the Spirit to strengthen us to live this resilient and faithful life to which you've called us. Amen.